and welcome to Sanctuary First. I'm Albert Bogle, and I'm joined today with my colleagues, Ian Jimison. Hey. And, of course, Laura Dagen. Hello, everyone. And, you know, guys, I think it's uh, summertime and the school's out. So it's time for us just to, with not having any guests tonight, we're just going to be our own guests tonight. <laughs> we have a great time together, just enjoying one another's company. And we want you as a listener to join in with us. So we're looking forward to you being able to uh, join in with some of the things that we are thinking about and reflecting upon. And uh, if you're watching this at a later date on on the chat line, feel free to put the chat line in the comments because we will look at them and we will have a conversation with you about it as we go on. Uh, if not tonight, whenever you've, you've got it down, we'll we'll try and get back and comment. What do you think, Laura? Yes, definitely. Yeah. And actually, I think it's uh, more pertinent than, than at other times because tonight we are looking at stories. And I think we've all got a story to share. Um, and so uh, I just love hearing people's stories. So I, I, I love the chat. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to think about stories and we're going to think about, I also thought about Bible stories that we really like and then how they relate to us in our everyday lives. Songs that we like that have kind of moved oh. us and then maybe even a book that we've read recently or a book that has been a big influence apart from the Bible eh, <laughs> on, our, on our lives eh, and eh, just maybe, maybe sharing a, a, an inspirational story. Fantastic. Can I start off today? Yeah, sure. Oh, go for it, Albert. Go for it. This is my, this week, this week's I celebrate 43 years of being licensed as a minister or a preacher of the gospel. Right. In my day, you had to get, the only people who were licensed were publicans, dogs, and ministers. <laughs> <laughs> and the bookie, and also also the, the bookie was licensed, and you had to get a license to be a preacher of the gospel in the Church of Scotland. And I was licensed to preach the gospel forty-three years ago in Glasgow Cathedral. And you know, wow. it was just the week before the licensing ceremony, and I was uh, meeting up with my my the guy who was the uh, my my. My bishop, as we call him in the Church of Scotland, he was he was the, my, my minister who was training me. His name was John Stevenson. And he was saying, he said to me, look, I'm going on holiday next week and I, I can't wait until you're licensed. I just want you to get on with it. So he said to me, he said, look, just go and uh, visit this lady. He says, you have to visit Mrs. Coyle. That was her name. Uh, she's very ill in hospital. Go and visit her. And as I go out the door, he shouts to me, and by the way, get a dog collar and wear a dog collar because you'll need it. And I said, but I'm not, I'm not licensed. Forget about that. I'm licensing you. Get a dog collar because I'll not let you in the hospital without a dog collar if you're going to late at night. So that's it. So go on, get on with it. So I duly, it's a, a Friday. I remember it's a Friday afternoon. I duly go to the hospital. I go in and the young nurse is there. And I say, I want to visit this lady. And it's in a high dependency ward. And uh, she says, oh, she's very ill. Uh, I don't think, uh, I th she'll not understand anything you say. Maybe you'd be better just to leave a little, you know, letter or a little note for the family. And I thought to myself, is that what I do? You go, into, you go to visit somebody and then they tell you, you can't get in. I thought, 
I thought, I would like to go in and pray with her. Oh, that's okay. If you want to do that, that's fine. But she'll not hear anything. She'll not be. So I went in and uh, Ian, you know, you know what the hospital is like, you know, it's that, it was that, the, the lights were down low, you know, it's a kind of, and the, 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 the blinds, you know, the blinds in the, for the ward, you know, it was a single room. The blinds were down, you know, that way. And uh, I went in and I sat down beside this lady and I said, what am I going to do? What do you do? And um, I, I remember I just took her hand and I said to her something like, I'm Albert Bogle, the assistant minister at Cardonald Parish Church, and I've come to pray with you. And then I didn't know what, and then I just said the blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you, you know that? Yeah. And I went out and um, on the way home, I thought, well, that lady's really ill. And, you know, I don't know if I did that visit right or not, you know. And I phoned up the minister and I said to him, hey, hey, John, I visited Mrs. Coyle, but, but she's really very ill. I think you should go and visit her. And I remember him saying to me, he said, a bit agitated down the phone, he said, if you're my assistant and you're going to phone me up every time you visited somebody to tell me to go and, and follow up in the visit, he says, that's not going to work. <laughs> you know. Just leave it. You visited her. That's fine. Leave it. You prayed with her. Fine. Right? So he must have got a wee ninja of conscience <laughs> because on the Saturday morning, he went to visit her. And I get a phone call from him. Lift the phone. He says, hey, sir, what's this about Mrs. Goyle not being well at death's door? She's sitting up eating scrambled eggs. says, <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? She was at death's door. He says, aye, death's door. He says, he says hey, we'll get a wee miracle worker in you. He's pulled my leg and all that because it, it was the time of Louis Palau had come into the thing. And he, he, I'll tell you, I'll show that later on. But he said, hey, by the way, he says, hey, she's okay. She says she heard you pray for her. He said, I asked her what, what happened. I said, I thought you were all, she's always very ill. But she said, I was slipping away. And she said, I heard the voice. And she, she said, the minister said, and I was like called back and she said, I said, the Lord bless thee and keep me through. She said, that's it. So I said, oh, wow. You know, I was absolutely amazed. You know, I wasn't, I was, I thought I was just doing a wee church of Scotland prayer, you know, but God is more powerful than all of that. And then just for, you know, so it's just amazing that, you know, that was my first, my first visit, Laura. In, in, yeah. You know, my first oh. hospital. Uh, I know like it's just it's just amazing. God's saying, you know, no, and I think that that actually when you go then and visit after, actually you expect something. <laughs> you, you know, you expect right. something. Did you know when I, I go play with people now? I, mm -hmm. I started, it was it, that's expect. So you would uh -huh. go and pray. I could tell you other stories tonight. I'll tell you another story later on, but I don't want to hog the storytelling. But you know, uh -huh. it's this the God who who makes a difference. I bet you've got a story. Uh -huh. Come on. Oh, listen, I've got hundreds of stories. I, w I was just going over in my mind what would be a good one to to start with. I, th I think that one about uh, expectations. So you you're talking about your first time as a minister there, Albert. Well, I remember my first time as a fully newly qualified doctor. And um, I uh, pitched up at the... I, I was driving up the road from Manchester where I studied... Uh, to go to a hospital, it was called the Vale of Leaving, right? I thought it was leaving in Fife. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was, 
It was only when I got halfway up to five that somebody <laughs> told me that, you know, I kind of stopped and thought, I'm not getting anywhere here. And then I realised that actually it was beside Loch Lomond. I'm like, oh no, it's a wee bit too close to home. So I pitched up at the, the hospital on the Friday night and the exiting doctors were having a bit of a party and we all joined in as brand new doctors. And I had a, a starched white coat and I had a collar and tie and, uh, you know, my hair was neatly combed. I mean, I was really out for the part and I had my copy of a, uh, my, my copy of the, the, what was it now? The Oxford Handbook of Clinical Medicine, right? Now, doctors of my vintage, if they're listening to this, will know exactly of which I speak because we all had the Oxford Handbook of Clinical Medicine. It was kind of the one thing you would hang on to in case. It was like your Bible. I, I absolutely, like, this will save me. <laughs> it doesn't matter what happens, this will save me. What mince, what absolute mince. So next morning, get up in the morning, myself and this uh, really beautiful young doctor I was working with, Jenny, and Jenny was perfection itself. She was immaculately turned out. She had big green eyes and long blonde hair. And she was just perfect. She was like something out of a, a, a Vogue magazine or something. <laughs> and she and we both kind of pitched up in the wards, you know, and I was like, right, okay, let's get some doctoring done. Well, I was on the ward for, it must have been five minutes, and a wee lady across the, the, the corridor from me had a cardiac arrest. She just was sitting up with her tea, and then next thing you know, the nurse is like pulling the bed out, and we all kind of run in. And I think, well, I've seen this done before. <laughs> they giving me a bit of training this. I know what I'm doing. The only thing that you don't do though in these simulations is you don't actually physically put the stuff together. So when they handed me the bag to bag valve and mask, it fell apart in my hands. And I'm like, what did I do with this? So I'm trying to oh, no. on one end and another end. I kind of managed to cobble it together and started ventilating this this lady. And do you know we gave her Rounds and rounds and rounds of, of CPR. I mean, we must have kept going for, way, you know, way, way longer than I would as a more mature doctor um, because I just didn't know when to when to stop. You know, I just nobody had ever told me when to stop. Nobody had ever put me in charge of anything like that. And I still hadn't met my consultant and I hadn't met my senior, doc, my senior doctor. <laughs> I followed in that one day something like 32 admissions to the surgical ward. Right, 32 admissions, each wow. team, each having to have decisions made and all the rest of it. Round about tea time was the first time I met my, my registrar who came in and said, oh, Jameson, what you are doing now? <laughs> <laughs> I know, oh, I've got this guy, I think this guy's got a pen, I think this guy's got that, he's like... Oh, good, he said, appendicitis. I like doing appendicitis. And scuttled off the theatre. That was the sum total of our conversation. The, the, the ward was going like a fair. And that whole night, I was up the entire night. And that's when I learned a very, very valuable lesson. One in which my wife has kept to this very day. You see, there's a secret thing, and Ray behind the scenes might recognise, secret thing nurses have. And they don't call you until just the point where you're either doing something else or when you actually close your eyes to get a bit of kip, right? When you're wide awake and ready to go, they never call you. Never happens. But they've got this sixth sense. They must teach it in nursing college um, that they just know when you're at your most relaxed and then they phone you. And Joanne does that to this day. I mean, 30 years <laughs> on, it's actually uncanny. 
Um, so the weekend went on like that, and it was it just was it was one of the busiest weekends that they'd actually ever had up to that point. Um, and on the Monday morning, the beautiful Jenny looked like she'd been dragged through a hedge backwards. You know, the hair was all in. There was no makeup on. She was as white as a ghost. I'd, I'd met her at uh, probably about two o'clock that morning, crying silently in the canteen to herself. I hope she doesn't see this because she'll probably deny it, but it is true. She's just crying away in her canteen. She said, do you think if I hang my page in on Monday morning, I'll get away with it? <laughs> not come after me. And I'm like, no, no, listen, we'll get through this, we'll get through this. And then the Monday morning came and all the people we'd been partnering with on the Friday night arrived for the ward round in the Monday morning. And I must have looked like I was reanimated. And Jenny looked like she'd been driving through the hill backwards. Um, and I'd learned about this thing that nurses do. Um and they were all shocked. So they'd come in all kind of laughing and happy. And then they saw the nick of us and they just shut up. They just went, boom. Because that was where the rubber met the road. That was where they suddenly realised what it would be for them for the next six months, a year of their lives. Um, but it, boy, I'd, one thing I will say, though, with without the kind of senior support back in those days, you certainly learned. It certainly made a man of you. <laughs> There's no doubt, or a woman of you, <laughs> it really did, it really got you, because you had to think in your feet, and see, by the, by the end of that attachment, the Oxford Handbook of Clinical Medicine was still as pristine as the day I brought it into the ward. I never had time to look at the blooming thing. Things are kicking off too quickly for me to kind of sit down and read it up and know what I was doing. So the nurses were marvellous. They would tell me all the stuff that I was meant to do and what each consultant liked. So that was my that was my introduction to medicine. I thought, it can't be like this. But do you know what? It's now 30-something years later, 30 years later, and it's still as bad. It's not worse. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Well, Laura, can you top that one? <laughs> <laughs> well, the other week, um, the other week, I had been journeying um, with a beloved member of our congregation as she was journeying towards uh, glory. And uh, she went into the hospice. And um, I'd, I'd visited her on the Saturday and then I thought, I'll go and see her on the Monday. But the next day, we'd had, on the Sunday, we'd had, uh, we'd had, oh, we'd had such a spirit-filled day and uh, I'd, uh, worship in the morning. Then I had went and sang in another church and again, the spirit was all there. And then... Uh, I went to, then we had our messy church and that was all, oh, so I was all buzzing, you know, fully, fully the Holy Spirit. But then I got news that uh, we did, the that the doctors didn't think that this lady would uh, make it through the night. So I thought, oh, I better go up. So I went to the hospice and I got in the lift and, uh, you know, just press the button to go up and then, now, I don't know if maybe I was just too fully the spirit. Maybe my energy messed with the, you know, all the, uh, the, all the mechanics to the lift. But I got up to level two. It said level two. It bounced. It went as if it bounced, and then the doors wouldn't open. Nothing would happen, and it was like 
ah, I was trying to press the alarm. Nothing, nothing at all. And now I do not like um, being in a, I don't like being in enclosed spaces, uh, neither do <laughs> Uh, and I'm like, oh, what's going on? Oh, no, 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 this is, this is terrible. I'm trapped. And I was in myself, you know. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 this is awful. Um, and I'm pressing the alarm and pressing the alarm and there was nothing, um, nothing at all. Nothing was happening. So I thought, I'm going to need to phone. I, went, I had to phone um, the lady's daughter that was there. Um, and I'm like, oh, you're going, I'm trapped in the lift. You need to tell the staff they're going to need to get me out of here. Like, they need to do it soon because I don't like being in enclosed spaces. So uh, the staff come out, you know, and uh, the nurses, and they said that they'd had the engineer out earlier that day. And I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. I had to come there out. Uh, and uh, they're like, well, phone the engineer. They tried to get some keys. Nothing would work. So they phoned the engineer. And they're like, right, it's going to be maybe about half an hour, the an hour, you know. And I'm like, right, okay, okay. And then the lady's uh, son said, because uh, he was there, he's like, tell Laura that there's two angels in there with her, you know, so she'll be all right. But, you know, and I'm thinking, right, so I kind of calmed down and I'm thinking, Hey, these angels are in here with me, you know, I could feel them in like each side of me, you know, because at this point I had sunk to the ground, you know, and I'm like, and it was pure roasting. And I'm thinking to myself, right, can you lose, can the oxygen run out in the, in the lift? You know, I was like, really like, but the thought of these angels really kind of calmed me down. So they did. And uh, I was like, so I was like, and then folk like, um, some of the ladies' family came out to talk to me, like kind of keep me calm. Some of the nurses came and talked to me, keep me calm. And then it was about about forty five minutes later, um, I had uh, I had demanded the engineer came and I managed to get out. But the thing was, was the the lady who was in the hospice, her her, her husband had actually came just after I had arrived. And so they managed to get him up the stairs, like, via a different route. <coughs> but the thing is, is, like, he was an older gentleman and he doesn't keep well. If it had been him that had been trapped in the lift, you know, it might have been a different story, you know, he might have... Uh, so there was... I, I think the Lord had a hand in it. Might have been had a bit of a sense of humour in all of this, you know, but at least he sent his angels <laughs> to look after me while I was in that lift. <laughs> well, do you know, Laura? But I was like, oh, no, I'm not getting in a lift again, I will tell you. <laughs> well, Laura, I was just thinking there, maybe the two angels might have said to you, Laura, we're here really to pick up so-and-so, but since you're here, we'll just take you instead. The <laughs> <laughs> Lord, wants, Lord wants one of you, but he'll not mind if we take you instead. Is that okay? <laughs> Do you know, t- t- talk, talking of talking of um, of angel of of angels, one of my mates, a good friend of mine, had a cardiac arrest. He actually had a car- he actually had a cardiac arrest, and um, he'll not mind me telling this story. Um, it's slightly naughty, but it's but it's a good story and it's a true story. So he was in a hotel in Glasgow, and he and his wife were there for a kind of wee night out and a meal and all that. And he thought to himself, he thought, well, I feel a bit funny. 
So he thought, I wonder if something's going to happen. So the first thing he did was doctor think. He went to the toilet to have a pee because all the people you resuscitate have peed themselves. He thought, well, he won't pee himself, you see. So that was his first thought. No, I'm going to have a heart attack. Like, I hope I don't have a sudden cardiac arrest. Anyway, so he goes back and he sits down beside his wife. She hears him groaning. She thinks he's messing around and he slips to the floor and he has actually got a cardiac arrest. So he's, you know, he's effectively dead. And so so she calls for help immediately. And next door, just as, talk about divine intervention, next door was a young lady paramedic who was in the room for a night out. And she was just in the shower. So she came flying out with her towel on, just her towel on, into the room and started giving them cardiac massage, right? And oh my goodness. And all the while his wife phoned 999. Now it just so happened that there was an ambulance passing by the door of the hotel that got radioed and they went dashing up the stairs. Now, while they're dashing up the stairs, this lady's towel fell off. So there he was getting cardiac massage, middle-aged man by this life young woman, completely starkers. And he says to me, a shame I was dead because you couldn't make that stuff up. So his wife was really concerned with getting her a bathrobe, which is really kind of her. So she covered her up the bathrobe. So by the time that the cavalry arrived, she was more modestly dressed. So they burst in the door. I mean, you, again, you couldn't make this up. This, this, so this all happened. Expert resuscitation. One zap and he's back in the land of living. Boom, just like that. He goes up to the hospital. He's in the hospital within about 50 minutes. And he wow. gets his stents done. He's doing absolutely brilliant. Back at his work, fantastic. So I was sitting with him and he was telling me this story. And I said, see, the thing is, I said, you know, you live quite a healthy life. I said, now me, I don't live as healthy a life as I should. I said, that was the Grim Reaper. Um, I said that was a grim reaper. He was actually he he was looking for me, but you live in Fairley and I live in Largs. So he got to you first. You, 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 and he was you know we're laughing and joking. I'm like, so listen, thanks for taking one for the team, mate. Um, and he was great. Anyway, cut to scene. It's maybe about six months later, and Joanne and I have got a hot tub. So I climb into the hot tub, and Joanne says, she says, look at the state of you. Just look at the state of you. You have let yourself go. You need to lose a bit of weight. You need to drink less and eat less. You're an absolute disgrace. Mark my words, Ian. Mark my words. If you don't rein it in, she said, you're not going to last two years. In fact, she said, I'm looking at the state in this hot tub. I wouldn't give you two days. Next morning, going for a walk along the prom. Boom, heart attack. Oh, my so goodness. Got, so eventually we go up to the hospital. I'm in the hospital. And I'm relaying this story to the consultant. And she's, you know, she's doing all the bits that you do. She turns around to Joanne and she says she wouldn't happen to have next week's lottery numbers, do you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ian. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that made a big impact in my life. <laughs> well, it's great, Ian, to have you back again. We know that that was a big, a big thing you've gone through and we've been all been praying for you. And uh, it's good that you're able to laugh at it, but also we know that how valuable you are and how much you're loved. And I think you've realised that too from all of this, just oh, yeah. how, how much how much people appreciate your 
Well, certainly Pilks and Sanctuary First, but I know your own your oh, own right. practice and your own patients will feel the same way. You know, <laughs> friends and my, my patients, I mean, my patients, that those that, you know, have got my email address have all, you know, asked for me and, um, you know, my practice of giving a wee gift and cards and all that stuff. It's been, really, it's been very humbling to see you know, the support that I've got. And it's been wonderful to be lifted up in prayer. Um, you know, I, I was reading Bono's biography. And um, in Bono's biography, um, he was talking about when he went for his cardiac operation. And he said he looked for his faith and he couldn't find it at that moment in time. I never felt that way throughout this whole experience. I I, I really didn't. I just thought... I'm going to be fine. And I just thought very practical kind of doctory things. I just thought, no, I don't think the Lord's calling me home right now. And, you know, I decided to stop at our local lifeboat station because I knew there was a defib there. And I gave Joanna a shout. I knew she's pretty good at using them. So I thought, well, I'm going to be all right. You know, <laughs> what happens, I'm going to be all right. I'm here at the right time with the right people. Um, and then got to the right place. So, no, I, but I do feel very lifted up by yeah. by prayer and, and the thoughts of others. It's been it, it has been quite a a life changing event. Um but mm-hmm. I wouldn't say an old <laughs> scary in some respects, but more scary in that it makes you confront yourself. And I think that's the thing I've got out of it. It's to kind of look yeah. at my life in a different way. You know, I always say that God, I think that, in fact, that my prayers that I'd written that week for Sanctuary First were remarkably prescient. Know, uh, you know, quite quite interesting. Um, and one of the things was, is when God gives you a shove, and I always feel like saying to God, because I don't know, do you ever, I'm sure you do, you pray that prayer, you know, Lord, you know, give me a sign. <laughs> You know, show me, show me the direction you want me to go in. Um, Aye, and sometimes Ian, it can be very, it can be in a direction that we have not thought about. It can be really, um, actually, quite traumatic as well. Um, and yeah, it takes you in a completely different direction. Yeah, it can be. Yeah, it can be quite painful yeah it's it, it's mm. it's the shove uh, rather than the nudge or the still small voice it's the shove, yeah. uh-huh. it's the shove that that uh, as i say it makes you kind of confront lots of things about yourself uh but there are there are wonderful aspects to what's happened as i say the the love that has come my way has been humbling and wonderful and you know it's maybe at a time in my life where i needed to need to feel that you know a lot yeah. of things are important now that were maybe uh, not been given the level of importance, um, you know that that they could have had before. Um, so I think it's been overall, you know, over, if if a heart attack can be said to be positive, um, that that was, you know, I, I, that's what I feel, you know. Um, but certainly, I, I was really blessed in the fact that I didn't find my faith wanting at the you know at the time mm-hmm. I was quite pleased about that because you often wonder what what you're going to be like um uh, but no I you know I was just sure that whatever was going to happen was going to happen and it would be part of the the bigger plan it's quite pragmatic yeah. 
you say that because there was a, a gentleman um, in our congregation gave testimony a couple of a month or so ago. He had had a heart attack, and he he had said that it was like well. This is it's like kind of putting your money where your mouth is. It's like this is the time that I, I have to really believe the things that I've been saying that I believe and and really trusting um, in the Lord. And um, as it's like a, it's like your 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 whole faith is is kind of challenged. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think it is challenged, but not. I would say uh, certainly for me. It wasn't in an adverse way. Um, yeah. I find that uh-huh. it was challenging in a in a positive way. Yeah, only, I the same. Only, you know, if only just to accept that I wasn't in charge. Mm-hmm. And that's quite a rare event for me. And it led me to thinking about, you know, the times in our life where, you know, we should be giving stuff over to God, but we don't. You know, we think that we can do it better or that we can... Mm-hmm somehow machinate our way out of situations or that you know we can make the kinds of fundamental changes for ourselves for ourselves and I'm not saying that human beings can't do that human beings are capable of enormous change for all of their lifespan um, however um, I think that kind of spirit-led growth um, is it, it, it was quite a valuable kind of reminder about that um, and the, the kind of reality of your experience, if you see what I mean. So, yeah, <clears throat> you know, Ian, I was just thinking, uh, there is a one of the reflections that you put together, Jack put together and put it on Instagram. Okay. And it's about follow me, oh. and it's actually a very good, uh, it's a very good little reflection, and it's gotten a very lot, a, a, a great deal of interest. Really? Lots of people are, are, are watching it, but it's about following Jesus and. One of the things I've been thinking about stories about following Jesus is that when you look at some of these stories, like the story of the woman at the well or the story of Zacchaeus, or even indeed the story of the wee boy that's been fed the five loaves and the two fish, it's as though Jesus knew where he was going and the disciples followed and he goes to meet people. And what I'm just trying to say is perhaps there are divine appointments where Jesus meets us and he knows he's going to meet us at a particular point, and he knows what's going to be happening, and <clears throat> he's going to meet us. And at that meeting, he's going to bring about the changes in our lives. Yes. Uh, it's like the it's like the meeting on the beach with the disciples and Peter and Jesus. And when, you know, you can tell that this is after the resurrection, but Jesus, uh, Peter is, you know, you can tell that Peter's still really mm. down. And 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 Jesus gives him what he needs to be able to forgive himself, you know, to to be healed of the 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 trauma of the denial and the crucifixion and the running away and 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 letting his friend down. The that 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 space, you know, just that that meeting there, and that that is actually one of that's I think got to be like my favourite. That is my favourite um, passage in the Bible, um, in John, um, because you can, it's like the relief. You can just feel Peter's uh-huh. relief and, and joy that he has forgiven and he can forgive himself. Like, you know, he can work, to, you know, as I said, he can lay it down. 
You know, but, I think yeah. this seeking and saving was the lovely bit. I think it's Mark's gospel. It says, for the son of man <clears throat> has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And the picture of Jesus seeking us, you know, we yeah. sometimes think we've got to seek God. You know, I'm looking for God. But in actual fact, God comes looking for us. You know, all the way through the Bible, if you look at all the stories, like even the story in the Garden of Eden. Yes. God comes, God comes looking for Adam and Eve because he used to walk with them in the cool of the garden. And he comes uh -huh. looking for his friends, for his creation, and they're hiding from him. He's coming looking for them and he's hiding. And that's the story of often God comes calling and we're hiding. You know, it's like the people that, you know, they, they close the curtains and somebody knocks at the door, pretend we're not in. We're hiding from God and he comes to seek and to save. And I was just thinking these stories, that story. Take, for instance, a story. Let's just have a wee chat about the story, the woman at the well. Oh, yes. Jesus Another goes out favorite. of his way. It's an interesting one, isn't it? If you read that uh, story, it yeah. says Jesus went out of his way. He goes into Samaria. Mm -hmm. It's not the most direct route he's to taking. He goes into Samaria. Yeah. And the rest of the disciples, <clears throat> he says, I'm just going to sit here. And the rest of the disciples go to look for food. And he's tired and he's sitting waiting there. But he knows someone's going to come. Yeah. He's waiting on that woman. Yeah, he's waiting on her. And, and, and again, changes their life, but and and then changes the lives of like all the others who hear. Exactly, the whole community. She uh -huh. goes back and says, "Come see a man who's told me everything I've ever done." Yeah, you know, and, and he asks her. You know, he asks her. You know, I always think this is great. He asks her, "Women, where is your husband?" And she says, "I've not got any husbands." And he says, "I know you haven't. You've had five husbands, and the man you're with now isn't your husband at all." Very oh. modern, very up to date. Very, this woman, but this whole story of this woman was passed down, passed down. She, she wasn't, you know, she, she, because she couldn't divorce. It was men who divorced in the ancient world, not women. Yeah. Uh huh. Mm. I and think, she was the first evangelist. Well, see that that's incredible. That that's incredibly powerful. The thing with Peter and the woman at the well and. I think the most powerful stories in the Bible are where Jesus causes the person to kind of confront, forgives them so that they can then forgive themselves. Yes. Mm -hmm. So it's an internal, it's this internal, the life of the internal life, the thoughts that we think that, you know, that we don't want, we would hate other people to know that we thought them or, you know, maybe the feelings that we have that, um, you know, we, we find we find difficult to handle or maybe there's, I, I mean, I could go on and on. There are so many things, but a lot of them are so deep and, and ingrained into the human, the human psyche. I mean, the betrayal of Peter is huge. I've really identified with that, you know, just because there's Peter in all of us. You know, we sometimes betray our very selves for reasons which may be perfectly valid, when we start down that road, but we end up in a place, and I think that it's that place where Jesus meets us. That's where Jesus is waiting, uh -huh. um, and 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 it has to. And in some respects, it kind of has to happen that way, because we we have to. You know, in Alcoholics Anonymous, they talk about finding your bottom. Mm -hmm. um, they they talk about that um, as you know, people have to find that point where they confront their addiction uh -huh. and then 
they go down the 12 steps. And I'm a great admirer <clears throat> of Alcoholics Anonymous and I'm a great admirer of anybody who's come through an addiction uh, and out the other side because they're dealing with their very selves. And I think the most lasting change, and this is what thing that I have very much harmonizes with me with Alcoholics Anonymous is the invocation of that you are helpless. Yeah. And the, the invocation of trusting to a higher power. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't find that really difficult to buy into. I mean, I don't find that difficult to, to buy into, but I, I, I think it's a very, very powerful thing. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I think Christ is sitting there waiting for us. Do you know what you're saying? You're talking about sharing stuff. I've been working on this week. Laura, I'm writing prayers for the 16th of July. And... Um, one of the bits, we're doing this thing, the ABC of Christianity, ABC of faith, or it's actually A to Z of faith. And we come to Q. And what do you write about Q? <clears throat> and of course, Q is the quiet place, the stillness and the quiet that we encounter when we encounter the power of God to sustain us through the storms of life. And then there is that long, rich Christian tradition that talks about silence and contemplation and it got me thinking about sir thomas akempis st thomas akempis and not sir thomas st thomas akempis and he said this seek a suitable time for thy meditation and think frequently of the mercies of god to thee leave curious questions study such matters as bring thee sorrow for sin rather than amusement and if thou withdraw thyself <clears throat> from trifling conversations and idle goings out, as well as from novelties and gossip, thou wilt find thy time sufficient and apt for good meditation. And it got me thinking, I wrote this prayer, <clears throat> an honest prayer of self-examination. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, still my restless mind, calm my troubled soul, for I carry many regrets. And I hold too many grudges, and the burden of them has become too great to bear. Draw near to me in these moments of honesty, and give ear to my prayer. Before the company of heaven and the fellowship of the Holy Trinity, I lay down my busy schedules, my weary, worn-out heart and my worn-out excuses, my troubled thoughts and my anxious fears, my tired limbs and my broken promises, my self-centred ego stained life of faith, tainted with doubt and disillusionment. Let me breathe out the turmoil of a tortured soul so that I can breathe again. Let me breathe in the communion of your love, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of my body, refreshed and renewed to face all that is still to come. In quietness and stillness, I wait. Isn't that <clears throat> acknowledging our need of God? Oh, yes, yes. That's very powerful. Yeah, that's that's very powerful. Um, yeah, I th I think God meets us in the stillness. Um, 
but I think he sometimes meets us in the firmament. It's that bit with Peter as he sinks in the waves and Jesus yeah. reaches out his hand and catches him. Mm. See, to me, and I said it at the time when I was doing the thing, that was the lesson. It wasn't really the, the walking. To, to my way of thinking, the walking in the water was quite incidental to proceedings. What, yeah. Peter, what Peter needed was to be saved. Mm -hmm. It was great that he walked in water, but he needed to be saved. And, he, yeah. and in, in the saving, he found out who Jesus really was. Yeah. And I think, and I think honestly, it's the, at the times that we need saving, when we understand that we need saving, because we don't always that's, understand that we need saving. Uh, that's the important bit. That's yeah. the important bit, Ian, when we realise that we need saving. Um, because that's it. We can walk on water. That's not the important bit. It's the important but is reaching out for, for the hand of Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, then when we think about those songs that have helped us, what are the songs that have inspired us and lifted us? And, and, and where are we going with that? <laughs> you know, we've, we've done 40 minutes of this podcast, guys, you know. <laughs> I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say... Um, uh, the, actually, a song that I was involved in, but that I, you know, we got the words from the hymn that he was "Love Lifted Me." That's a beautiful song, isn't um, it? You know, I, I think that that's one of the nicest bits of work that Three Sixty never did as a band, um, and I, I just love the words. You know, I was sinking deep in sin, far from a distant shore, buried deeply, stained within, sinking to rise, rise no more. You know. And love lifted me. I mean, it's just see that that I, I think when we did a live thing with Sanctuary first, that I think you got me through, and I was singing that song. Yeah. And my only real comment about it was, every word of this song is true, and and it is true, you know, and it, it was true, and it is true um, that we need to know that we need to be saved and we need to accept it, and I think that's when we when we really meet Christ. Uh -huh. um, and I'm not sure how much of the process is as active as we sometimes imagine it to be. I think it's active in the sense of you come to the realisation, but I think we need to let go and let God. Yes. It can be such a difficult thing to do, to, to let go and let God into a situation. Um, I've certainly found, and I've prayed that prayer, you know, that prayer of the help prayer, you know, or the help this situation in quite impossible situations in my long career and the job that I do. Um, situations that are mission critical, critical for somebody, you know, critical for, for me to do the right thing um, with all sorts of chaos. But sometimes praying that prayer and stilling your soul gives you that breathing space to then do the best mm. that you can do and, and let God use those talents that day that God chooses to use that day. Because tomorrow it might be different. Tomorrow yeah. it might be the studio writing a song. The day after it might be writing something for SF or do you know what I mean? But at that moment in time, it's, you know, God is using you, I think. I think that's important for Christians to realise that in, in all the things that we do, you know, I think all the things that we do can be an act of worship. Yeah. You know, I really do think they can, you know, is, mm -hmm. uh, is, is God pleased with me? You know, does this please God? 
I find that quite a compelling thing. Um, I really do. So for me, it's got to be Love Lifted Me. Um, I, I just, I, I love it. I think it's got a beautiful sentiment. And uh, that would be one of my, and it's a really old hymn song. Not, not the way 316 do it, but certainly, uh, it, it, you know, it's an old, it's an old, 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 old song. Yeah. Do you know what comes to my mind is a song that we wrote together years ago. I'm free. Jesus set me free. Right. And, and it's it's again about sinking and being you know and being saved. And these are the kind of things that are so important. But um I think yeah, songs do help us to express, you know, how our feelings are and help us to get things out. What about you, Laura? Um I think probably, I feel as if this is my story and this is my song, Blessed Assurance. Yeah. You know, that, and I know it's an old one. I feel that uh, it's thy praising my Saviour all the day long. Yeah. Um, and it's that, and it, it's, it's that way as well. It's like, you know, just everything, everything is for the Lord. And you've got that assurance of you know what's to come, uh, and and it keeps you going. Some of these old songs say, are so powerful, yeah. And then the old ones are because the other one that I would probably say is what a friend we have in Jesus. Oh yeah. And it's that way, like you know, because and it's it's like when you learn as a child, but that it never leaves you, you know, because Jesus is your friend. He's there all the time. Um, if you if you little. You know, and it's it's uh, I that I think that that's like a, such a powerful one um, oh, yeah. as well. All our sins and griefs to bear, yeah. yeah. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. That's what easily one of my favorite songs to sing. Easily, mm-hmm. I just love it. You can do it uh-huh. so many different ways, I but I know. That's so, so pure, such purity uh-huh. about. That. Isn't it? It's, yeah. it? It really nails it, I think. Um, the so, other one is Great is Thy Faithfulness. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Oh, God, our Father, there is uh-huh. no shadow of turning with you. Oh, yeah. All yeah. I have needed, your hand has provided. Yeah. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, unto me. You know, God never said he'll give us everything we want, but he said you'll get all that you need. My grace is, remember Paul's struggling. The Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul is struggling with so many things. And yet he says, you know, um, God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. I think that that is that wonderful thing about, I remember Campbell used to say that, that, you know, the, the whole thing about grace, that you were forgiven before you ever sinned. That, that's quite a concept to wrap your head around. You know, it's really, really powerful. Absolutely. But you don't sin it. because you know you've been forgiven. Oh, no, 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 I've tried that. It doesn't work. <laughs> no, it's even if I sing to God be the glory. Like in White Inch, right, we don't sing, like we tend to sing mostly modern songs. So I always, uh, <clears throat> it's always a joy for me whenever I get to sing the old favourites. Um, and uh, I love to God be the glory, and it's that. See the see the, the lines in it. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. I feel myself tearing up. You know, it gets me every single time, 
every time I sing it because it's like ah oh, and I, and I feel that again and again and again and the joy of salvation again and again and again and and each time you know ah oh, somebody is saved uh, and they've oh, it's just just the most beautiful thing you know what Campbell was saying was absolutely right because by grace you are saved before the foundation of the world. The cross of Christ has saved us, you know. And I think it was Bishop Ryle, Bishop J.C. Ryle was sitting in a, in, a, in a train. You know, he lived in the 19, you know, just after the, the Victorian age. And he's on a train and it's the 1914-18 war. And there's a little Salvationist girl sitting across from the train and she sees the bishop and she thinks to himself, He's an old bishop. <laughs> so she, she looks at him and she says to him, Bishop, are you saved? <laughs> right? Something after about right? <laughs> But what she didn't realize was that she had met a saint. Yeah. And he looked at her and he said to her, My dear, I've been saved. I am being saved, uh-huh. and I will be saved. Yes. <laughs> Amen. Uh, you know, he, he, he gave her a lesson. You know, yes. it's not, are you saved? But it's the continual work of Christ Amen. in our lives. What Campbell's saying is right. Yeah. It's that ongoing knowledge that God has chosen us and called us before the foundation of the world to redeem humanity. And again, it's placed there because it all went before we were ever thought of or we were thought of. That's the thing, isn't it? We were always thought of. That's amazing. That's a really interesting point. We were always always thought of. of. You were always on my mind. You were always on my mind. Maybe I didn't feel that just as much as I should have. Oh, very good. <laughs> still got it, Albert. Still got it. <laughs> but, but it is incredible. But but I think there are way stations along the way, aren't there? Yeah. There are way stations where yeah. you know, Christ sits by the well for us to kind of stumble towards yeah. him or walk towards him or... or Hang on a wee second. I'm over here. You're like, oh, I... you so you are, Lord, right? Sorry about that. And then, you, you know, you get that. So, you know, it, it's... I, I is think... that, that even when we're saved, we can lose our way? And oh. that is, it's continual, continual, continually yeah. coming back, continually... You know, just easily sickness. Um, yeah, and hey guys, I'm just looking at our time. We've come to the end of our podcast. Oh, <laughs> we could be, I think we could be this has been a rich. This has been a rich theme to mine tonight, hasn't it? Oh, or rich, yeah. rich theme. There's more stories to be told. We must come back to this theme again. But you know that Jesus is seeking us. The stories of the Jesus, the seeker, seeking us and calling us and waiting for us to be catch up with him. And maybe if you're listening to this podcast tonight, <clears throat> you've heard us talk at the very beginning about our stories. 
But there's something more than all of this. There's your story. And there's the, the Lord who, through this podcast, is reminding you that he has been seeking you for a long time and he's waiting for you. Oh. And he will catch up with you. Yeah. He will catch up with you. And you will catch up with him. And you will discover all kinds of things. He'll ask questions of you. But he'll never embarrass you. Do you know that? He will never embarrass you. He's always so concerned and caring for you. But he'll ask hard questions of you. Well, I think this has been a great podcast, great time to share. Thank you for listening. And for those of you who have joined Ian, Laura and I tonight, maybe we want to thank you. And um, we'll catch up again, but we're going to take a break over the summer period, over the next August, uh, July and August. And we'll be back in September with some new thoughts and with a new series of podcasts. So until then, good night and God bless you, wherever you are. Good night, Good night everyone. Bye.